Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Patrice McCarthy. She is Deputy Director and General Counsel for the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education. Good morning to you. Good morning. I know things are fluid, but give us an idea of how school districts across Connecticut are preparing for back to school in the shadow of COVID-19. Well, school boards, superintendents, building administrators, and teachers have been working for months to prepare for a successful beginning to the school year. And every district has a series of plans in place. The first focus is obviously on the health and safety of the students and the staff. So looking at those health metrics is the starting point for every district, just as it is for the state of Connecticut. So the plans range from a few districts beginning with full virtual learning to other districts actually having all students back in the classroom five days a week. Obviously in the middle, there's the what's known as the hybrid version where students would have some in-school experience and then continue with some distance learning from their homes. How fluid are these plans? I know some districts have even started to change things before classes started. That's right. Everyone wants to provide the best experience they can, and they have to, everyone has to recognize the need for flexibility. So as health data changes, then the plans change. But there is a essentially a continuum of educational experiences that districts have put in place. Now, I know there has been a lot of talk about the hybrid model, and it varies from district to district, but what might that look like for students and parents and educators? Many of the hybrid plans provide for two days of in-person learning, and then the remaining portion of the week would be distance learning. So often it would be half the student body in for for Monday and Tuesday, the other half in on Thursday, Friday. Uh, Some districts are having their elementary students in five days a week and having the hybrid model for their middle and high school students who are better able in many cases to be independent learners. And when students are at school physically, How are things going to look differently? Well, everyone is going to have to follow the protocols for the health and safety, not only of themselves, 
but of their peers in the building. So everyone in the school building will be required to wear a mask unless they have a medical exemption. And the health experts have actually told us that medical exemptions are in cases where people are so severely compromised that it might not be advisable for them to be in the school setting during this pandemic. Uh, there will be social distancing, physical uh, distancing in place so that the hallways aren't crowded. In many cases, schools are not going to be using student lockers. And there'll obviously be a real emphasis on hand washing, personal hygiene. How long have school districts been preparing for this? I'm guessing it goes well beyond just moving desks around. Absolutely. School districts have been looking at their ventilation systems, making sure that they have the most efficient, effective settings in place. There has been training for their custodial staff so that there is not just cleaning, but uh, sanitizing and disinfecting when that's necessary. And there has also been, in every district, reopening committees, which have included not just people that are working in the school building, but also community members to try and make sure that there's good communication, good understanding of why the procedure is in place and what they do to protect the well-being of everyone in the building. How extensive have the conversations been between school boards and some educators who are really concerned about having in-person classes this fall? Certainly there have been uh, regular communications. Boards have been meeting in some cases virtually, in other cases in person. And all those meetings have provided the opportunity for public participation, just like in the public meetings that we knew uh, before mid-March. So there has also certainly been communication between educators and the superintendent in each district, as well as the building principals. How would you describe the level of support that local districts have received from the state in restarting school this fall? Well, the State Department of Education and the Commissioner of Education have really been exceptional in communicating guidance to districts. Uh, we're part of weekly meetings with the statewide education organizations, the commissioner and his senior staff members. So we have the opportunity to get answers to the many of the questions that are on people's minds. And that, that information has been a very important part of the plans that districts have made for reopening. In terms of resources, the governor just announced uh, last week the allocation of $130 million for PPE, for cleaning supplies, for additional support for transportation costs, as well as for our 69 neediest districts, the opportunity for additional support for personnel. Those are the, the districts where students are probably having the greatest learning loss during the period that they have not been able to physically be in the buildings. So that financial support is critical. However, we know that the costs in many cases of reopening effectively will exceed the amount of state support and boards are already having those conversations with their local fiscal authorities to receive additional allocations beyond what was budgeted last spring. We know that some students you just didn't hear from after classes went virtual last March. 
what is being done to number one, get them up to speed, and number two, make sure that they are connected this fall if they're learning remotely? Those are real challenges because there's a variety of reasons that many students were not connected with their educational experience when the school buildings closed last spring. In some cases, it was a lack of actual devices and that is being addressed, although uh, computers are hard to come by, uh, both nationally and internationally. So the state has orders in, but we will not start to receive those additional devices until October. In other cases, it was a lack of actual connectivity that was a barrier. But in many cases, it was the fact that we have students who are responsible for caring for younger family members while the adult in the household needs to go to work. And so the lack of a, a structure, a support system, as well as the social emotional needs of students, which are very difficult to address in a virtual environment. Those were all barriers that precluded many of our students from being able to connect to education. At this point, what should families be doing in preparing their students for a return to school? Families should, first of all, be talking about the importance of following the rules, the health protocols, so that not only the individual child can be safe, but they can meet their responsibility to their classmates to be safe. The, we need to do this for each other message is very important. So that includes the mask wearing, the keeping a physical distance from your friends, even though you'd love to give them a big hug respecting the need to physically distance from your classroom teacher so that they stay safe, and uh, the frequent hand washing. Those are all things that the national and state health experts have said make a huge difference. And they seem simple, but reminding our students that this is what's necessary if they wanna be able to go back into the school setting uh, and receive that support from their teachers and be able to uh, have the opportunity to interact with their friends, that following those protocols will be critical. What sort of communications are, are being sent out to, to parents at this point? I'm guessing a lot of them might be wondering, do I have to have masks for my kids? Should I send them to school with hand sanitizer? Things like that. Uh, every district is communicating with their families. In many cases, individual building principals are doing outreach to the families. Some districts have created videos uh, that illustrate what the classroom layouts will look like when students return to the school buildings, because it will be different uh, than when they left in March. And so for understanding what the specific protocols for your child's school building will be will be very, very important. And then just reinforcing that and, and also reminding students that it's still an exciting time, even though things are going to look different. The beginning of every school year, despite the fact that it won't look like the beginning of any other school year any of us have experienced, is still a very important milestone in the educational journey. I know school districts have plan Bs in case there is an uptick in COVID-19 activity. Should families also have a plan in case things go from in-person to hybrid or 
all online? They should. And we recognize that that is very challenging for families. Uh, but that flexibility will be very, very important. We know that when the uh, if the health data changes, we saw recently the uptick in cases in Danbury has resulted in that school district saying we need to go remote for the first month because it's a health and safety issue. The availability of childcare is a challenge throughout the state. And I know that efforts are, are being made at the state level to try and make sure that those childcare opportunities are available. I know some of the um, Boys and Girls Clubs, the Ys, are reconfiguring what they are able to make available to their families to provide that support in the event that we have a um, a virtual learning uh, requirement. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Patrice McCarthy. She is Deputy Director and General Counsel for the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education. We've been talking a lot about what things might look like at school, but even before the students get there, transportation is a huge hurdle that has to be overcome to make things work smoothly. That's absolutely true. And in Connecticut, unlike many other states, transportation is part of the right to a free public education. So districts will be providing transportation services. Some are putting monitors on the buses, at least for the first few weeks of school, until students get used to the uh, need to you know, maintain a physical distance on the school bus. We also know that when they are able, many families are going to be bringing their children to school themselves. So districts have had to look at traffic patterns. How do you avoid um, a dangerous situation in your school drop-off area? How do you make sure that when students are being dropped off, they maintain that physical distance and don't congregate in, in groups? So those are all things that are part of a district's consideration as they look at their reopen plans. So on the school bus, are we going to see certain seats blocked off to help maintain social distancing and things like that? I think that some of the, the bus companies will do that. Um, they certainly, members of a, a single family are going to be encouraged to share a seat, but other students are going to be encouraged uh, to sit separately. Now, you mentioned the $130 million in support from the state is that enough to, to do what has to be done? That is certainly a piece of the funding that is so critical, but the costs associated with a safe reopening definitely exceed those funds. And that's why the support of local municipalities will also be very important. And having that communication at the local level is critical so that municipal officials understand the costs that will be incurred and the fact that those were not projected when local budgets for the 2021 school year were being developed almost a year ago. I know things are kind of in a, a gridlock status in Washington, but how much hope do you have that there might be more assistance on the way from the federal government? We always remain optimistic. Certainly the Connecticut delegation are strong supporters of appropriate federal resources for our schools. We know we can count on them, but I don't think anyone um, will be holding their breath uh, or basing their plans 
on any sort of assurance of additional federal support. Now, after school activities, are those still going to be happening this fall or have they all been sidelined because of COVID-19? Well, every district is dealing with that on the local level and, and that's appropriate. The um, range of extracurricular activities from band to athletics to drama productions, that there is a broad range of opportunities that we know are very important for many of our students. However, I think districts are focusing first on a safe return to the school setting, making sure that there is the opportunity for that interaction between our students and their teachers and recognizing that we may need to, to pivot to a uh, distance learning environment, but making getting that opportunity for that initial connection for teachers to meet their new students and start to build those relationships that are so important to the social emotional well-being of our students. That really is the first priority. Now, backing up a bit, explain to us how hard educators have been working over the summer to make sure things go well this fall. I know, you know, summer vacation, oftentimes people might disconnect for a few weeks. Uh, That has probably not been the case this year. There has been no disconnection, and and we need to recognize the impact that has on superintendents, school board members, building administrators, and teachers who have been involved in these efforts to build a successful reopening plan. It is very draining to be working 24-7 and to know that you have to constantly be ready to revise the very good plans that you've already put in place. But that commitment to the students has been so apparent throughout these months of planning that the goal of making the most robust educational experience possible for all students in Connecticut has been the, a real priority. And I know, you know, just trying to work virtually for the last number of months, things are, are going to go wrong. There are going to be speed bumps. From the perspective of school boards across the state, what will success look like this fall? Success will be having students connected to educators, having students their social and emotional needs recognized and supported and to be able to identify the learning gaps that are in place and have strategic plans to address those learning gaps so that students can then move forward. And that will be true regardless of the extent to which it's an in-person learning experience or a virtual learning experience. You mentioned emotional needs. How big an issue has social isolation been for students who maybe have been disconnected from their friends since mid-March? We know from the reports of the mental health professionals, as well as what individual families have said, that that is a huge concern for many of our students. The uh, isolation, the uncertainty, the uh, inability to 
just have the normal social interactions that all young people thrive on, that that has created some significant issues. We see increased reports of depression among young people, and we need to be able to address those issues because if we don't address those issues first, it's going to be very difficult for those students to benefit from their educational experience. Along the same lines, what sort of provisions are there to help with special education students and, and students who have learning disabilities and need extra resources? Every child with special needs has an individualized education program in place. And obviously not all elements of that could be delivered in the virtual environment that we were in last spring, because in some cases that's very much hands-on. Their special ed professionals have worked individually in a remote environment with the students uh, that they provide support to. But we know that there will again be the need to look at where those students are when school begins in the in this fall and to adjust those programs if that's necessary. Now, the, the governor has said that if Connecticut can't return to in-person classes this fall, really no one can across the country, given how well the state is doing with COVID-19 numbers. Have you looked at other areas of the country and compared to, you know, compared what they're doing to what Connecticut is doing? Absolutely. I'm on weekly calls with my colleagues in the other states' school board associations around the country. And clearly, not only are Connecticut's uh, health metrics in a very good place, where I think we're one of the, the top four or five states in the country in terms of having been able to control uh, this virus, but we also know that we are very focused in this state on health and safety and looking at that, looking at those metrics and making sure that if we do see a change in those metrics, if we see an uptick, then we scale back the in-person opportunities. So I am very proud of the work that's been done by local districts, by our State Department of Education, and our, our governor in terms of making sure the focus is in the right place rather than saying we have to open all schools or we have to keep all schools closed. How satisfied are you with the health information that's available related to children and the spread of COVID-19? It, it seems there there has to be a lot more work to be done. There definitely, we learn more every day about this virus. And I think uh, that making sure that everyone has the most up-to-date health information is critical. And also recognizing that following the most important health protocols is what is going to keep us safe regardless of what new information we might need, uh, we might learn uh, in the coming months. But looking at the situation we're in at the moment and based on the best information that we have, that's how we have to design our return to school. Returning to a theme we touched on earlier, in our last minute or so, just tell parents 
What sort of pep talk should they be giving to their kids as they get ready to, to start the, the school year? I think parents should be in, convey enthusiasm and a real sense of support for their students and their learning experience. That's an important note in every school year that when we begin in September. But this year, more than ever, enforcing the idea that we need to follow protocols, we need to do this because that's important to our classmates and to our teachers to keep them healthy and safe. And that if we do that, we are going to have a wonderful school year and we will be supportive and we will be flexible and we will keep communicating the best information we have to support student success. She is Patrice McCarthy, Deputy Director and General Counsel for the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.